We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. We are here. We have arrived. The long journey is over. Knicks basketball starts this week. And, of course, to start the week, as we always start, weeks in season, and for most of the offseason, I'm joined by my compatriot here, Jeremy Cohen. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, John. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. Basketball's back. How are you? basketball is back we're back baby uh i'm okay uh so this is just this is the realities of podcasting uh we are recording the intro to this episode uh what is it saturday october 21st that sounds about right Mm -hmm. um the episode that you are about to hear which i will tell you about right now um we recorded uh last weekend uh with our good 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 friends from locked on Knicks, alex and gavin uh alex wolf and, and gavin shawl um you uh, will hear the first two parts of this four-part episode on this feed, and then uh, to go hear the final two parts of this four-part episode, you will go on over to the Locked On Knicks feed, which uh, you should subscribe to anyway. They do they do great stuff. They put out great content, and uh, they're they're generally fantastic. So that episode is coming up right now, in which uh, all of us again over the course of of uh, several parts. We'll make three uh, hot-ish, ish, emphasis on the ish, takes about this upcoming next season. Uh, we're going to get to the, the first of those episodes in a moment. But first, we have a couple of news items uh, pertaining to Nick's Film School itself, which uh, I'm going to toss the ball over to Jeremy. We do indeed. Thank you. Yes, John. So first things first, we have a watch party that we have talked about. That is the November 3rd game against the Milwaukee Bucks. That will be held at Penn 6, not the game itself, but our watch party. The game itself will be in Milwaukee. They're going to play the game in the bar. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. That would be Uh, fun. Damien, please, I'm having a beer right now. Could you give me a little bit of space here? Uh, You're used to having gravity, so so move it over. Uh, So the first thing is the event link will be in the website. Well, excuse me, will be in the YouTube video um, that we have here. We'll tweet it out as well. Just as a reminder, it will be a paid event, but you will get food. There are drink specials. We're going to have a lot of fun. So that should be great. That's the first part of housekeeping. Uh, Next, I want to talk about a couple other things that are very exciting. So we are slightly, very slightly rebranding. Still Nick's Film School, obviously. Still have our key logo. But we worked with uh, our guy XJ to help create a more uh, updated version, you know, featuring our logo and some other things, which has been very cool. It's been great to work with that experience. We are speaking of the new season. We are working on a new website. You know, usually Twitter is the place to go for a lot of our content. Maybe YouTube. This website will be a great homepage for all of our things. It will be uh, fun to go to. Not necessary, but a good place nonetheless to house what we have. And we will also be doing merchandise. We have merchandise. We have been using merchandise at T Public. We thank them, thank them for their time. We are now able to be moving on to a new distributor that will be 
actually connected to our website. You can use it as a launch page instead of a second link entirely. And we will, uh, based on the switchover, we've got some better designs, in our opinion, of uh, merchandise that's there. So as you can see, if you are watching images on the screen with uh, some of our new logos as well. So we're very excited about all these things, you know, new year, new us, same team though. That's the whole thing. And we're, uh, yeah, we're locked and loaded for the beginning of a great new year. Uh, I just saw the new logo pop up on screen. screen. Uh, I'm just disappointed that neither Travis Kelsey or Taylor Swift is featured in the new logo. I thought we were trying to get the kids, Jeremy. Are we not trying to reach the kids? We're, we are trying to uh, get to the children, uh, yes. But we feel the licensing issues between Travis Kelsey oh. and Taylor Swift. I mean, she's, she's got lawyers everywhere. It's just that, a nightmare. Oh, a thousand percent. I'm sure she would snuff out any person selling merch on say Redbubble or like you go to canal street and you just a car pulls up and five guys in suits come out and they just haul you away. That's I kind of want to test that theory. Uh, Please, by all means, this, that would be the last time I ever see you because (laughs) you would not survive. But, uh, and we need, I I need a co-host, John. I I can't do this alone. We need you here. So please let someone else get hauled away instead. I, I just have Swift on the brain because my daughter went to see that movie last night with uh, some some friends. So some some friends' parents were kind enough to take her, and uh, I got video from the theater. And I was like, I thought you were seeing a movie, and it's just a bunch of children dancing like idiots. Uh, Can I? The, yeah. I, I, so I'm seeing Killers of the Flower Moon today. I, I and my, wish I was you. <laughs> sure, but my biggest concern is this is going to be this really pivotal moment, and then I just hear muffled screams of "I'll stay out too late," and I'm just like, "This killed the movie." I I can't I can't do this. This is uh, with all due respect to the Taylor Swift Eras tour. I I just I want to go into a theater and not I, listen to another movie going on. So last thing before we get listen. to the <laughs> last thing before we get to the episode, the fine folks at Hollywood, while well, they've been you know hitting each other over the head for the last several months, should have devised a plan such that during this time, because these movies came out within a week of each other, right? Kills of the Flower mm-hmm. Moon and and whatever they're calling the Taylor Swift movie. Um, oh, that's right, eras, which my wife explained to me is because it is featuring the different eras eras of her career they should have had like a babysitting thing or like a, a, a like a super vi- so you could, as a parent could go see killers of the flower moon and deposit your child or children as it were into the other film that they could not work that out like maybe with a deal with amc you know um to, to get that done is just a real it's a bad job by everyone involved i just had to say that or do the reverse have the children go to Killers of the Flower Moon, have the parents go to Ares Tour. And then it's like, mommy, why is it that people destroyed this this uh, tribe? It's like, this, I don't know. Great land kid, I was too busy watching Taylor Swift sing style. So because hope you enjoyed was, uh, Genocide. Because there was bad blood, kids. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, there well you done. go. All right. right there. I want it known for the record that yeah. we thought we could fit both of our recordings that we have to do today in. 10 minutes. And the reason that we probably won't is because this di- diverted into Taylor Swift's talk. Yeah. Thank I you for the that. SEO because now I can put Taylor Swift in our uh, as like labels and hashtags. Oh, yeah. And who knows if that'll boost this video to the biggest video ever created. Can you imagine? If, it- <laughs> if any Swifty is watching, I have nothing bad to say against Mother and your the overlord that is Taylor Swift and uh, you're welcome to comment on any other of our videos, please. And thank you. Uh, okay. Enough Swifty talk. Uh, let's get to our conversation with Alex and Gavin. Joining me now on the next film school podcast, um, returning guests coming back for an annual tradition that we are very proud of. And when I say proud, I of course mean uh, utterly embarrassed and ashamed of the past results that have uh, come from the fruits of our labor labor in air quotes um alex and gavin of locked on nicks i don't know which one of you i should uh, formally introduce first gavin I, i'm you're next to me in, in the box here how you doing gavin? oh I, that's a big win for me i think this is my first time being introduced first so i'm doing fantastic <laughs> switch it up uh alex uh, fantastic for you too how are we how are we doing <laughs> also fantastic ready for a new season to get started uh ready to you know be bold and wrong uh as we are every year the challenge. Oh, and hi, Jeremy. 
Hey, John. How's <laughs> it going? Fine. I'm glad you changed. I'm glad one of us changed our shirt. Well, it's been uh, a very long week. I hope you washed that shirt in the time that we recorded our last episode on this one, which was again a whole week ago. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm like Linus with his Linus was the character with the blanket, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think he ever watched that thing. This is just this was, this was my shirt of the week. Um, so yeah, it's funny you say that. Uh, you know, not funny, but it, Alex, you just nailed why this episode that we do every year is kind of not ridiculous, but like it's boring. If one of us came on here and was like, I think Mitchell Robinson is going to lead the league in offensive rebounds. Like whoop de do like we do have to be somewhat bold to, to make this interesting. Um, but I'll, I'll just ask you and then we'll get right to our predictions because these, these things usually take a while as it is like I, what I found challenging about this is the fact that like this team for the most part, not totally for the most part, I think has been fairly predictable over the last few years. So like coming out with a hot take is hard when you would like that hot take to be right. Do you see things the same way? I think specifically they're hard to make a hot take about this year because as we're seeing, as we're seeing through the preseason, this team is boring in a good way. You know, it's, Basically the same team as last year, swap Obi for DiVincenzo, and that's it. So, like, you know, you're kind of banking on development. That's what we're going to try to be, I think, looking at for some of these uh, predictions here. But uh, I think in in general, like, the, the last couple years, I wouldn't say it's been... It, they've been boring. The Kemba 40 no. year, certainly not a boring year. That's what I was uh, thinking. Going in. Uh, but, you know, then... Then this uh, this past year, I mean, last year there was Brunson, which is such a huge variable. Nobody quite knew how good or bad they were going to be. Nobody sure. was fully in on Randall or Tibbs at that point. You know, like there was a lot of a lot of tumult. So I, I think this year is kind of unique. This is like the most stable year of probably most of our lives in the Knicks history. I, well, I was about to say maybe famous last words, which, which means maybe this year is going to is going to batch it. I was going to throw out there, John. I think part of our issue collectively is none of us ever want to be negative. And the Kemba Fournier year that would have gotten it done, but I don't know <laughs> if any of us have done it. And I, I'm proud to say I still haven't done it because it's just not fun to come on this podcast and, and be bold in a negative way. But I'm yeah. hoping one of you did because I think maybe if we if we have the odd even year Julius Randle uh, individual slash team wide trend. Maybe that'll pay off. So on that on that somber note, uh, we can get rolling. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, man, wait, yeah. ended on a down. Yeah, I, you know what? Maybe you guys are right. I guess I just my my I was like looking over, you know, stats of like past years and like trying to think to myself, all right, maybe they'll do better in this category, or that category, with the exception of the offense last year. Like this team as a whole, not individual players, but as a whole, year to year has has been somewhat consistent in the in the Thibodeau regime. Although, again, there are exceptions to every rule. All right. Um, let's get started. So again, we're, we're going to make three predictions each. Um, you're going to, so 12 in total, you're going to hear the first six of those on this episode or on, on this feed. And then the other six on the locked on Knicks feed. Um, Jeremy and me are going first. What? Right? Sorry, do, do we want to go over last year's first? Do we want to show how no. just horrible we were good. last year? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, we have no choice. <laughs> okay, so if you're watching on the YouTube channel, you could see. Um, I think I think everyone should have to s- s- like say them themselves and just and <laughs> and you should go first, Alex, because yours are your first because you're first alphabetically. Wait, yeah, do, clearly do we, do we, we get dunce caps for this? Like, yeah. does anyone make those ahead of time or no? Luckily, on YouTube, nobody can see us because we're covered by the graphics. So, I can, even if I was wearing a dunce cap, you wouldn't be able to see. <laughs> Uh, I had Jalen Brunson winning most improved player, which actually was not too bad. Uh, one might argue he should have been the most improved player, but he, of course, did not win that. Uh, this is where things get real ugly. Evan Fournier starts every game, shoots 41% from three, and breaks the three-point record again. Uh, I said every game that he's available for what it's worth, but, you know, same freaking difference. Um <laughs> Could not have been more wrong there. That was pretty bad. Uh, I think I actually also said he looked he would look quite good. Uh, nope. <laughs> uh, and then Obi Toppin will average 25 points per 36, but average less than 20 minutes per game. I think he averaged 17 points per 36, which was somewhat in line right. with his career averages. So, and and kind of that's pretty bad. That's pretty far off. So I'm not I'm not going to give myself even half a star there. I think I got one out of three 
uh, you pretty get, good. You get a C minus. Uh, Gavin, why don't you go to yours? All right. Mine were all in the right direction, but all wrong, which is an improvement for me. So I think I'm trending the right direction. But I had Mitchell Robinson will make an all defensive team this year. He was really good on defense. You could argue he was maybe deserving to be in that conversation. Ultimately, did not make it. Grime starts over 50 games. That part was right. And averages. 14, 4, and 4. In in retrospect, the assists was a particularly bold call. There was really no way he was going to get to four assists last year without just a a major, major jump in his playmaking. Points and rebounds were pretty close. Three rebounds, 11 points per game. So that one, that's maybe the the closest I've gotten in a while to getting right on one of these. And the Knicks bench will have a lineup that rates top 10 in net net rating amongst five-man lineups of over 200 minutes. That one uh, did not get there. Um, They had a lineup that was composed of some bench guys, including Quickly and Hartenstein, that got to 17th in net rating, but that was only 100 minutes. And they had a Josh Hart version that got to top five in net rating, but only played 50 minutes. But theoretically, um, maybe I could just run that one back if Josh Hart was here the full year. But I I went 0 for 3. John, how'd you do? Uh, Not much better. Uh, So my first was that the starters will play even with the bench when we're looking at on-off. The most used starting lineup last year, the one that finished the year, um, with obviously the big three and then Grimes and Mitch was plus seven, I think, on cleaning the glass, maybe plus six points something on, on NBA.com. And uh, none of the bench units, uh, other than, like you were saying, some of the, the ones with Josh Hart maybe were um, were anywhere near that. Uh, the bench struggled to score all the year, although they defended well. So that was a miss. Uh, RJ Barrett is going to hit 203 pointers. He only missed that by 79. I was like so close to making that one come true. Um, but I did go one for three. I said the Knicks would make an in-season trade that impacts the rotation. Um, they did go out and acquire Josh Hart. I'm, I'm not sure if that was the sort of move I had in mind when I made this prediction or that heart was anywhere near my radar, but uh, I'll take the one out of three and, and move on to Jeremy. I still can't get over that prediction. Cause like, that's such a general prediction here. We're going like, don't, you know, like very niche. My... Like Alex said, Obi will average 25 points per oh, 36. And you're out of here saying they'll get someone good, but take it. Take, <laughs> it's fine. Enjoy it. I'm I'll taking the win. I won't gatekeep it. It's fine. I'll be petty. <laughs> Uh, so here are my three. The Knicks will be top 15 in effective field goal percentage. Uh, they were not. They were 20th per cleaning the glass. However, if we look at when Thibodeau uh, changed the rotation as of December 5th, the Knicks were 13th. So uh, I'll take a uh, consolation prize there. I said the Knicks will find a way to get OG Ananobi. They obviously did not. But I will say, I raised the OG Ananobi before there was really any kind of uh, talk of OG Ananobi, but he's not here. Results matter. He's not in New York. So that didn't happen. And then the worst one was a top 10 assist to turnover ratio. The Knicks finished 22nd in that category. So uh, not great on that one. I'll tell you. Listen, we all tried really hard and we gave it our best effort. And and that's all that should count, even if it's not all that, that may count in the minds uh, and hearts of our, our viewers and listeners. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So um, another 12 coming your way now. Sure to be 100% right. Take these all to the bank. I guess I have to go first. You're the one talking. Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, so, G- Gavin, maybe I should should take your advice and, and find something negative. I'm not going to do it. Um, I'm going positive, and I'm going positive about a particular player. 
And I, I am, I must be a glutton for punishment because I'm going positive about the same player that I tried to go positive for last year. And that's RJ Barrett. Um, there are a couple of different ways that I wanted to go with a positive RJ prediction, mostly because I, and this is largely recent, actually, yeah, it is largely recency bias because I've been, I've liked how he has come out in the first two preseason games, famous last words. But I think RJ is going to have a good year and I think he's going to have by far the best year of his career. I was thinking about doing maybe some per 36, something or other, because I, 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 I think he's going to be really good. I'm still not sure how many minutes he's going to play. So I'm going to go to an area that I've dinged him on a lot and that a lot of people ding him on, which is that the numbers, if you go by, if you like advanced stats, pretty much every year of his career, they have not loved RJ Barrett. Last year, if you go by certain advanced stats on basketball reference in particular, they painted him as one of the worst players in the league. I would not go that far, but it's not pretty. Um, so here's where I'm going with this. I don't know. If, I, I'm a, Jeremy, I'm going to ask you after I say it, is it bold <laughs> enough? And if you, if you say it's not bold enough, maybe I'll go a little bolder. I think RJ Barrett is going to finish in the top 100 players in the league in value over replacement player. Now, for some, as measured by basketballreference.com, for context, for context, context is important. We love context here. Um, RJ's best uh, finish in terms of value over replacement player thus far in his four-year career was in his second season for the We Here season when he was a positive 0.5. Positive 0.5 that year. And again, the rankings change you know every year in terms of like what you, what your number translates to. Um, but that ranked 168th in the entire NBA. To to be in the top 100, you kind of you definitely have to have a value over replacement player at least of one, and it's probably going to wind up needing to be a little bit more than one. So I'm essentially play, saying that RJ Barrett is going to do twice as well as the ne- as the most the next best advanced stats season of his career. I think he's going to make a positive impact on the team when he's out there. So before I get anybody else's comments, Jeremy, is this bold enough or, or do you want it a little bolder? No, I think that's bold because we've had a previous conversation where we feel if there's someone who's going to get the short end of the stick with rotations due to minutes and allocating time, it's going to be RJ. So if he is in that situation, on the other hand, he would then have to be doing so well that Tibbs would be preventing him from seeing the time that would likely help impact the performance that would get him into the top 100. So I do think that's pretty bold. Okay. Um, Alex, Gavin, what do you guys think? I think that's pretty bold. I mean, so the, for those, for the uninitiated, you know, I just went and looked myself because I was like, wait, how do they calculate that again? And it's, basically, It's a complicated, yeah. it's basically, it, it tries to, correct me if I'm wrong, it tries to measure how well a team does when the player's out there versus how well a team does when he's not, right? Yes. It's an estimate of how many, how many points better the player makes a team by his presence on the court. Um you know, when, when he's playing versus versus a replacement player, a replacement player is considered, uh, according to basketball reference, that I just looked up to be a minus two. Uh, so that would be like a, you know, average Joe bench player, I suppose, is supposed yeah. to make you two points worse than someone who starts for you. The Knicks uh, fly in the face of that all the time, I guess, because they consistently throw out really great bench players, but it can't be the case for everybody. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's pretty spicy. Uh, you know, I, I think that you're, so let me ask you this: When you're thinking about this, what is what is the thing that you think is going to push RJ over that hump this year? Do you think it's the three point shooting is finally going to come around? Do you think that it's the fact that he's now become just this this unstoppable foul drawing machine <laughs> that that's just going to like he's just going to consistently churn out like nine ten free throw attempts per game, and that's just kind of kind of like place him there by default, like. What's your rationale for this uh, to we, say uh, that he'll be in there? I'm just thinking, Jeremy, we should have had uh, RJ get into the line, you know, a bunch of times this year in our in our preseason overreactions uh, episode that we, of course, recorded a week ago. Um, mm-hmm. No, you, <laughs> I think I think his decision making is going to because that's the thing I think that really turned the corner in the playoffs. I think his decision making and and kind of in association with that is passing is going to get a lot better. I think. I don't know. I got the sense at, at times last year, like he was forcing it maybe to prove that he was worth the contract, whatever the case may be. I think he's maybe going to be a little bit more comfortable in his own skin this year. Um, so the decision-making I guess would be number one for me. I'm also, 
I'm cautiously optimistic that the RJ led bench units, because I think he's going to still go with the RJ led bench units. I think they will be better. I think they will be better. I I, I don't know if I could express exactly why. I think going getting Hart for a full season will help. I think DiVincenzo will help those units. I think they're going to play fast. I think they're going to turn defense into offense. That's more of what we saw in the preseason game against Minnesota with a lot of steals and everything. Um, that's my my gut feeling. And I also, I just don't think he can shoot worse from three. You know, I mean, he shot 30% last year. Uh, how can, can he be that bad? I know, you know, first two preseason games, not great, but hopefully that gets better. Yeah, I mean, John, to that point, the um, lineup I was referencing when when talking about my bold predictions with Josh Hart had RJ in it. And that was um, for lineups that played 15 minutes or more. I think that was the third or fourth best lineup in all of basketball. So you see like in the right context with the right amount of spacing, like he can be a fulcrum of, uh, I, I guess, one I, in, in the context that it's going against the opposing benches, one of the better lineups in basketball. Only going to have more spacing with DiVincenzo out there this year. I, I don't know how much it factors into VORP specifically, but I think his underlying defensive metrics could get a lot better. Last year, he was first percentile. That is not the best. That's the worst in steal percentage in the regular season. And then the playoffs, he jumped up to 50%. So you see, sometimes it's, I don't know if that's an effort issue, a focus issue, a shape issue. The biggest thing for me is that he just doesn't have the first, like the disastrous first month to two months of the year we see from him essentially throughout his whole career. And I think coming off of FIBA, we're probably all pretty confident he's going to be able to avoid that. My biggest concern, if I can indulge myself in some negativity here, is that I I just don't know how much better the decision-making is going to be. I think it did make a substantial leap in the playoffs. You, you still see him in the preseason taking shots that I just think he has no business taking that are a product of his greatest skill and greatest weakness. And that's an incredible uh, confidence bordering on overconfidence in his own ability. And I think he's going to, that, that's always going to be a part of his game. It's just like, how much can he pare that down and turn some of those clank threes into free throws, some of those missed mid-range jumpers into layups and, and, and so on and so forth. But I, I'm with you. I think he's going to push his game in the right direction. I, I don't think he'll quite get there, but that's why it's a bold prediction. And I mean, listen, in regards to Jeremy, what you were saying about like, well, if he gets, if he gets to this number, then he really should be playing more. I mean, last year, one a 1.0 VORP on the Knicks would have ranked tied for Grimes and Josh Hart both had VORPs of, of 1.0. Now, Hart's obviously was achieved a very small sample size, but like Mitch was 1.7, Quickly's 2.1, Brunson and, and Randall were both uh, over three. So I'm not saying that RJ is going to be like in the upper echelon for the team, just that he'll, he'll, he'll be better. So for, for what it's worth. Anyway, um, you're up. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. All right. So for my first one, I'm going to go with a player who uh, is not in the starting lineup. I'm going to go with someone who comes off the bench. And my bold prediction is that Isaiah Hartenstein will average at least one attempted three per game. What? Oh, wow. I like this it. is so, bold. This is bold. So here's That's my bold. thinking. As everyone here knows, we're recording this on October 22nd. Uh, the two games that we've seen since October 15th, I don't really count them because I just choose not to for whatever reason. But if we want to focus on the two games that we know the Knicks absolutely have had in the time frame of the preseason up until October 15th, uh, we would see that Isaiah Hartenstein took three, three pointers in those two games. And two of them were from the corner. One of them was from the wing. One of them was, I believe as the shot clock was expiring. I can't help but feel like the Knicks are trying to usher their way into an era where they have some modicum of spacing one through five. It doesn't have to be a lot, right? Like it's not going to be, Hey, let's stick a a five in the corner and he's going to be a marksman. It's just like, we want to add some more multidimensional play to our offense. And if we're talking about Jericho Sims playing at the four, Again, the John, as you and I talked in the past about net rating with Sims and Hartenstein, wasn't terrible. But one way you could potentially improve that in a theory is to have two non-spacing bigs. You make one of them a little bit more in terms of a floor spacer. Now that I'm not suggesting Hartenstein's shot is going to be deeply respected and suddenly the Knicks are changing the game. I'm not saying that at all. But there's something to be said of, especially for someone who played 82 games last year, if he were to take... 82 threes, for example. I don't think that that is super unrealistic. 
And for the much needed context, Isaiah Hartenstein, the first year that he played more than not even 60, let's say 50 games in a season was his year with the Clippers, the 2021, 22 season. And he attempted 33s in that season. Last year, he attempted 37 of them. So I know that say 82, hypothetically to 37, it's a big jump. That's a little bit more than double. And I'm assuming health here, but that's why I'm going to the per game portion of it. And that, that being at least one. And it's really the preseason. That's, it just felt fascinating that that's when we're starting to see something about it. So maybe it's an implication that something else or an indication rather that something else will happen. I was quite frank. And you know, this is probably just by virtue of the fact that he played the most that he's ever played with the Knicks last year. But I was quite frankly amazed to see that he took more last year than he did with the Clippers because we spent all last off season last year trying to talk ourselves into like, did the Knicks just find a stretch big? Like, did they just get this like stretch big? They yeah. can shoot. Look, he shot 40% from three. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, I'm 0. 0.4 attempts per game. <laughs> like, it's not very much, dude. Like, that's a, that's a rounding error. Like, come on. <laughs> um, you know, so I, this is pretty, this is pretty bold, man. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm with it. Like I, I applaud your boldness. This is, you're really playing the game here uh, because I agree that I think the Knicks are, in theory, thinking of trying to get more stretchy uh, overall, but I kind of feel like they're going to try to get that out of the... Uh, they're going to continue trying to just get that out of the four spot. Like I think that Tibbs is so determined to have his fives play the way that he wants them to play. And the fact that he even... He, he gives a little bit of leeway with like allowing Hartenstein to kind of run some things from the elbow from time to time. And, you know, we see how that works to great effect. That's shown off in the uh, four preseason games that we've totally seen all the way to completion. Um, that that gets shown quite a bit uh, where he's, you know, been looking for guys cutting back door and looking for guys just in general cutting to the hoop. Uh, he had a really nice one, uh, I think, to RJ the other day. And then he always seems to have a really nice connection with Deuce for whatever reason uh, mm-hmm. on those backdoor cuts. Uh, you know, so he's... He's, he's an interesting player that plays differently than Mitchell Robinson. That said, when it comes to the dirty work parts of the game, Tibbs wants him in the same spaces as Mitchell Robinson. So getting offensive rebounds, uh, just getting rebounds in general, he's going to need him to clean up there more so than ever this year with that men's unit. Because I've been... I didn't really put this into... Maybe I should have made this into a bold prediction. I might even switch one on the fly. Uh, but I, I don't know necessarily that Josh Hart is going to be quite the rebounding impact that he's always been. Considering that he's now going to be, he's now going to be counted on as the four man rather than just the guy that can crash in there and uh, snatch okay. it out of the four man's hands. Uh, so I think that Hartenstein's going to be relied on that more than ever this year. Uh, so we'll see. But I'm not. This would not be my bold prediction. But again, I applaud you for for playing the game very well here. Yeah, Gavin, we'll say you. I really like it because I think this is a bet that Tibbs is going to be like drooling and staying up late at night thinking about Hartenstein and Jericho Sims on the floor together. And and maybe that comes down to a Julius Randle injury at some point that those guys actually get substantial minutes. I, I'm not sure about you guys. I haven't uh, loved the look of that in preseason lineups. It's just really, really clunky. And you're counting on Jericho Sims to do a little bit more than he's capable of. But I think in the minutes when those two are on the floor, like I wouldn't be shocked if he got to a point where Hartenstein is like a tempting a three, maybe like every two, eight minute stretches that they're on the court together. And that would lend you to one a game. Maybe he starts like if he gets a little bit more confidence from there to two a game. And there, there's there are great elements to keeping him out there behind the arc. I think most notably what Alex was talking about, like I think it's easier for him to make those backdoor passes when he's spaced out to the three point line than when he's at the free throw line and things are just a little bit more clogged. He has more room to kind of survey the court. So I, I, I like the prediction because I, I have a, and it's nasty. I'm not happy about it, but a nasty gut feeling that we're going to get a little bit more of those lineups than I would personally hope. And I think in those minutes, like he's going to have to take those shots because if not, they just won't work. Uh, I'll go the other way on the Sims thing. I don't, I don't think we're getting a lot of Sims hard mm-hmm. minutes. Uh, I, I hope not. Wrong. Yeah, I, I, I don't see it. I think it's a, I think that's a, that's a thing we're going to look back on and be like, Oh, remember when, when we were all worried that, uh, you know, he was going to try to do the double big thing. I'm just looking at some of the, the centers that shot at least one, three, a game last season, like Thomas Bryan attempted a three game playing 18 minutes a night in, in Denver. Um, 
Jonas Valen- Jonas Valanciunas played 25 minutes a game in New Orleans, averaged 1.4 threes per game attempted. Uh, you know, like guys that you don't like can shoot threes, but you don't think of as as three point shooters. Like Chris Boucher played 20 minutes a game. He averaged 2.5 threes attempted. Now, obviously, Boucher is a little bit more of a track record of a three point shooter. But like, if you look at some of the guys who have done this, you know, not in big minutes, but who are centers who take some some serious threes. Um, Santi Aldama, 3.5 a game in 21.8 minutes a night. I think he's got it in him. I really do. I think this is a good one. I, I could see him just missing it, though. I could see a point seven or a point eight, but there's nothing fun about point seven point eight. So I, I like that you went bigger or, or instead of going home. Very good. Thank you. Um, who do you? Which of you guys want to go first? Alex, Gavin, you tell me. I can go first. Uh, yeah, I just, I just, I just got joined by my cat. He was clearly very excited about this. Oh, so nice. that, that, was, that was one of my bold predictions. Was that he would come on? So <laughs> or, or only one. Yeah. Man, you're, you're crushing <laughs> it, dude. Oh, man. Best year all right. ever. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm going to... Let's see. My first prediction. This, one's, this, this one seems a little convoluted, but I don't know. I have a method to my madness here. So the Knicks uh, last year famously had a very high uh, ranking in points per 100 possessions. Uh, they were third in the NBA in that category, uh, which is great. But they actually fell to the easily their low. I'm going to say easily their lowest number under Tibbs uh, in that department in the defensive side of things uh, at 19th in the league. So my prediction this year is that the Knicks slip into the bottom 10 in points given up per 100 possessions. So somewhere from the uh, 21 to 30 range. Uh, but my my justification for that is that they will still post an overall better net per 100 possessions than last year. So my prediction is that they're going to get much better on offense um, because I, I just think they have more of what they need on that end. But I, I do think that there are going to be some games where they're going to have some tired legs a little bit, especially with that bench unit. I think, I think that the bench unit at times might struggle a bit on, on defense, even though they have some great defensive playmakers, there's just going to be certain matchups that, the Knicks don't really have they don't really have that audible to go big uh, off the bench. You know what I mean? And they could just play yeah. Randall more minutes or something like that. But I think some teams are going to expose that from time to time. Uh, and I think that could lead to a lower uh, defensive rating or uh, sorry, defensive per 100 possessions for them. Uh, different than defensive rating, technically speaking, although very similar. Uh, but they're. Their offensive per 100 possessions, I think, is going to get a lot better in large part due to that second unit just blitzing running and and just getting after all the time. And I think the team overall is going to look to run more this year, which, again, maybe will tire them out a little bit uh, for the defensive end, but should overall have a, a higher impact than before. So last year, just, just for reference, I forget if I even mentioned this, they were a plus three. So I think that they will end up with a higher than plus three net rating per 100 possessions this year. So what I'd like about, well, two things. One, I'm not sure I see them. If, well, because it's tough because they, they finished 19th, right? In defense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like if they finish 21st, that, that qualifies for, for right. prediction. But okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me, if I may, though, uh, there was yeah. a pretty big difference. I, I pulled the stats a minute ago. I'll yeah, there I was. Get. I know where you're going with this. It, it was a pretty big drop off. I'll see if I can get there quickly. I, I got to go well, back. Like, I'll, I'll finish reference pages. I'll, I'll, I'll finish my point quickly. And I'll say I'm not sure if I if I see that part of the prediction at this point, based on how they've what we've seen so far, I could I don't think they're going to be. I think it would be a, a nice achievement for them to be a top half of the league defense. That's what I'm rooting for personally. It'd be 15th or higher. If they're somewhere 16, 17, 18, I'd be, that's kind of what I'm expecting. I don't know if I'm expecting to be below 20. Wouldn't shock me. The reason I like your prediction is because I, I, I think a lot of people, their initial reaction upon hearing like, my God, they're going to be better than the third or, or, or by, by cleaning the glass, second best offense in the league. There's one number that I think jumps out, and that's uh, speaking of 19th place finishes, the Knicks were 19th in three-point percentage last year in terms of conversion rate, 35.4% from from deep. Um, I'm not saying that they're going to 
skyrocket in that category. But I'd actually be, I would actually be really shocked if they finished that low again in threes. I think they're definitely going to be top half of the league in threes. I think there's a world where they could be 12th, 13th, 14th um, in threes. Again, I mentioned before, RJ possibly getting better from three. They brought in DiVincenzo. Um, I, I think Randall could be a little bit better from three. You know, Grimes could get better. Quickly get all these guys. All these guys could get better from deep. So if that, if everything else stays mostly the same, and I, I kind of see them having a repeatable formula on offense. Like we know what they want to do. We know how they do it. Um, if the threes go up, you know, it, it's it's not that crazy. Anyway, yeah, I think I think it's a great point, John. I I, I think. It, it was kind of stunning that they had a historically good offense last year, mm. given that um, to the point of um, Jeremy's prediction from last year and, and what you guys are saying, like the shooting was just not that good. And I just I don't see any way that the second unit isn't more explosive offensively. Like, I, I just think the spacing, the collective ball handling. I love that we, we saw in the first preseason game, Tibbs was willing to give Grimes some time with that lineup. Like, I, I just think those units, like if I, I was tempted to almost recycle a prediction from last year, I, I think they're going to blow people away. And we saw it every time Josh Hart was on the court, they blew people away. Emmanuel quickly is a net rating maven. Um, you're just combining all these guys who who all they've done in the past is help that statistic. Um, and and I, I can't help but think the shooting's going to be better. Like RJ Barrett can't really shoot much worse than he did last year. We saw Quentin Grimes shoot just dramatically better after the All-Star break. I think he was around 45% from three. I, I honestly think Randall maybe even taking a few less shots per game just because things are going to be more distributed. His percentage could go up ever so slightly. Like I, I, I think it's a great one. I think it's probably going to happen. I would agree. Although there's something to be said of the conversation where we're all positive about this. So maybe it does actually go in the <laughs> negative direction. And that's the regression that we kind of need for our own sake to keep us uh, in check. But yeah, it's um, I, I think that the difference between Obi and DiVincenzo is going to be pretty significant, at least from the net rating standpoint. I think it's very, it's easy to look at just the spot up shooting and the difference there. Even on the defensive end, where the Knicks have consistently been one of the worst teams in terms of deflections, and now they finally get someone who is really good in that category, that should help increase or improve one rating and then lead to an, an overall net increase. Yeah, I so the the point I, I did find the stat I was looking for the difference between the 19th and 21st uh, ranked teams in points per 100 possessions given up last year was uh, 0.8. So about a point difference. Yeah. So I, I do think that there there is a chance that they could be a point worse, but I think they could potentially be two points better on offense for all the reasons you guys said. When I said they got more of what they needed, shooting was what I meant. So I, I kind of teed that one up. I'm glad you guys hit it out of the park. Um, I, I really do think the DiVincenzo edition, uh, the, uh, just the overall makeup of that second unit and how we're seeing them move the ball and just the fact that you have three ball handlers there, like really it, it does kind of come down to the second unit. Cause we already know what the first unit is and how good they can be mm-hmm. and how good they're probably going to continue to be, especially with RJ looking better Grimes. Once he starts hitting the three consistently, like he's been a little rusty through preseason so far, but you know, once he like really finds his stride, Brunson is Brunson, you know, Randall seems to have his head screwed on straight still, which is great. And Mitch is still Mitch, if not even bouncier this year again. Finally. So, uh, you know, things are looking great, I think, for them in that regard. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Gavin, I'll throw it to you for, for your first prediction here. 
All right. I, I went a little granular last year. So two of my three are, are pretty grandiose. And I'll, I'll start with maybe the, the, the biggest of them all. And that is, of course, Joel Embiid. I think by the time this is maybe cheating a little bit because it extends into next offseason. By the time we do this oh, wow. podcast. Yeah. I said, oh, I said, oh, wow. Because I know oh, it's coming. Oh, I thought you said, hold on. Oh, okay. All right, no, no, no. no right, sorry. You guys, hold you on. Guys, well, hold on. Actually, you, guys, you guys strap in for this. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> I do, by, I by the time we do this podcast next year, I think Joel Embiid is a Nick. And I think that is uh, my first reason is that I just don't see any way this Philly situation doesn't implode. Um, either they're trading James Harden for cents on the dollar or they're keeping him. And I could see a world where if they keep prolonging this, they say, yeah, buddy, we're, we're looking, we're talking, you know, negotiations ongoing after the all-star break. He just says, I'm done. I'm not playing anymore. And obviously he would be giving up a whole lot of money if he did that. So that would be kind of crazy, but I'm, I'm wondering if it becomes a pride thing with him at a certain point. And even if he does keep playing, I don't think it's unrealistic that this team is a first round out. I think they're still going to be a very good regular season team. I think Embiid is just too good for anything otherwise. Nick Nurse Mm -hmm. is a solid coach, maybe a slight upgrade over Doc Rivers. I think Maxi makes a bit of a jump. But if this team gets out in the first or loses in four, five, or six in the second round, like it, it is just Groundhog Day for Joel Embiid. And like, and where does he, like, what is Daryl Morey going to give him to believe that? He's going to have a championship core around him. We saw the Celtics make substantial improvements. We saw the Bucks make their all-in move. We see the rest of the East slowly but surely getting better. It feels like every team in that range is going to be a little bit better than they were last year. And then the two teams around them dramatically jumped them. I think they're counting on Tyrese Maxey turning into a top 25 to 30 player overnight. And again, I really like him but I don't see that happening. So let's just say that Daryl Morris says, all right, like we got to trade him. Like it's just not going to happen here. Who are the other contenders? Who are the teams with similar or greater assets? The ones that I wrote down were Oklahoma City, Houston, Portland, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Jazz. Out of those teams, the ones that would become like surefire contenders with Joel Embiid are the Pelicans, Thunder, and Grizzlies. So ultimately what this comes down to is how pushy Joel Embiid is. Like the whole history of modern NBA basketball, or at least the last five years or so, are stars, if not getting to their first choice, getting somewhere that they would deem quote unquote acceptable. And maybe it's a repeat of the Dame Lillard situation where everyone says it's the Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks, and then the Thunder send everything and he ends up there. But if he just doesn't want to go there, does Oklahoma City have the stomach to do that? Does Philly have the stomach to like send him there um, like if and, and kind of just permanently torch that relationship? I think all those teams just have assets beyond what the Knicks can give up. And that's maybe my biggest fear in making this prediction but I think ultimately, again, like I'm kind of falling back on that precedent that it just seems like guys get where they want to go. And I think out of the teams that, again, could contend and have big markets, like the Knicks are kind of just the clear cut standout um, in terms of um, teams that could get them, not to mention the obvious history with Leon Rose. So it's a little bold. I might be a little bit short on the timeline, but I, I think these things usually happen a little bit faster than we think, if anything. So I'll say I'll say we're, we're making some bold prediction around Joel Embiid this time next year. Can I can I tell you what my biggest fear is on this sure. on this Go ahead. Yeah. Is that Masai Ujiri seems to have lost control. And I, why am I bringing up Masai Ujiri when you just talked for five couple minutes about Joel Embiid mm-hmm. is because this whole gambit right now for uh Daryl Morey seems to be just get to next summer with max with, with I know they keep saying double max cap space. It's not really double max cap space. It's a lot of money though. It's more than a single max. And it's like, you know, a pro, like, whether it's a max and a half or a max and, and you know, two thirds of another max. The point is they could make a max offer to someone. And like we've been saying for years, free agency's dead. Well, there's one guy out there running an NBA team who seems to just have no fucking issue whatsoever with letting his players walk into free agency. And he's running the team in Toronto. And there are two really, really good players sitting there on the Raptors who are slated as of now, right? To enter unrestricted free agency next summer in, in Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. I could see either of those guys being perfectly fine fits in Philadelphia. Can that, can Philly attract one of those two guys you know and is, is and, that enough for Embiid if they do well, like does that it, push them over those other teams I don't know when you if you fa- I mean I don't know whatever they're going to get from Harden and then I think it comes down to like how big of a leap does Maxi make but that that at this point I think is much because I think if they don't if they can't turn the cap space into something at that point to me I I 
Because that's that's clearly what they're telling him, right? Like yep. they're not punting on this year, but like it's kind of a punt. But like they're saying, just wait till next summer. We'll we'll get someone that'll carry us through between that person and Maxi. They'll carry us through the next five years. They have to get someone. If they don't get somebody, and I I, I mean we've always looked at the market. We all know who's available, who's not available. I don't see. You know, I don't think the Clippers guys are going to leave. And if they did, like, what is that? Is that the thing that's going to keep Joel Embiid around a, a thirty whatever year old Paul George or, or Kawhi Leonard? I know that's my biggest fear. I'm curious what what uh, what Jeremy and Alex think, though. I'm a little peeved, and I say that somewhat facetiously because John, you said everything I was going to say. Sorry, like it's no, no, no need to apologize. We're clearly on the same wavelength here. To me, it's the Sixers have an opportunity to likely move James Harden and probably someone like PJ Tucker to the Clippers get back expiring money and Terrence Mann. If you look at their cap sheet for the 2024-25 season, it's Joel Embiid making $51.4 million. It's PJ Tucker's player option, which we're swapping in this case for Terrence Mann, which is about the same, give or take. It's Paul Reed's non-guaranteed salary that likely will become guaranteed. It's Jaden Springer's money, if it's even you know guaranteed as well. Oh, yeah. uh, but it likely will be. And then there's uh, Philip Petrusev, who is making, you know, next to no money. And it's, it's actually $0 guaranteed there as well. So there's more than enough money for them to say to Siakam or Ananobi, look, if you see yourself as a max player and for Siakam, he should. And for Ananobi, I don't think he's quite that high, but he's going to make more than $30 million. That's for sure. There's an avenue there to say you could have all, and, and there's Tyrese Maxey's uh, restricted, uh, his, his uh, cap hold. You put all that together, it doesn't have to be a contender. It just has to be a team that's good enough where you say to Embiid, look, we're going to keep building here. We have no desire to trade you, especially if we get another piece in here. We want to keep making it work. And I think the one thing that I have had to kind of change my mindset over, one of the things that we often talked about in our KFS group chat was, and I spearheaded this a lot, how is Giannis supposed to get any help because you've got all these older players. You have no assets. You have Drew Holiday who said he doesn't really want to sign a new contract after this. He's done. How are you getting value? And what do they do? They got Damian Lillard. Yeah. Teams that have top 10 stars find a way to get talent around them. Even if it's long enough to just get them over that initial hump. Because now maybe you're buying two years. But if you're buying two years for Joel Embiid, you've pretty much bought his whole prime. And if you bought his prime then you're probably going to want to resign him because you get to keep him. And he sees a whole lot of money and it's like, yeah, I love where I'm at. We're moving in the right direction. We're still trying. They can reinvent themselves and teams reinvent themselves in ways that we often don't think that they can. And I think the Sixers with Daryl Morey, especially can reinvent themselves. So I honestly think it's, it's very bold Gavin, just because we've also seen all these stars not get what they want. Like Damian Lillard wanted to be in Miami. He, this is a newly single man who is now getting to, <laughs> to date the women of of Milwaukee and Madison and Sheboygan if they drive that far. I Did you know. not see I, Love either, Actually? I have not. No, but maybe their tractors get from Flush Sheboygan to movie. Milwaukee and there's a parking spot for the fear of the deer. I don't know. But like that's what he has to deal with. We saw Donovan Mitchell yeah. want to come to New York and he's in Cleveland. And I just, unless it's someone like Kevin Durant who finally got his wish because the, the, the Spurs, excuse me, the Suns paid what they had to pay, what they didn't want to do you know, earlier in that offseason. I, I just, it'd be great if players, what they want and they could move more freely. I just think we're kind of past that point. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the Sixers have enough smart people and flexibility to recreate themselves in a way that at the very least just keeps Embiid in Philly for a year or two after that. I'll just say in regards to all this. So one, are you guys assuming that they don't extend Maxi before the deadline or Correct. they, I believe they've even kind of talked about yeah, it's the been de- reported in, Hey, we'll give you a max contract. We just huh. save money and can make the team better and you still get paid no matter what. So that's it's, probably, why. it's a difference for them of, Jeremy, you probably know this number off the top of your head. Uh, 15, 20 million, right? In cap space for next summer, I for believe. Sure. So, something along it's, those lines, yeah. It's, I don't know it off the top of my head, but it's a lot. That's it's enough, it's enough, enough to, to not difference. do it. Yeah. 
That sounds about right, given where he was taken in the draft. So that that's interesting. I, you know, if they've got some sort of under the table deal going for him, then cool. I, I wonder if maybe there would be some pressure from Maxine, his agent, to make that happen. Granted, what are they going to do? It's like, well, then we'll just hit restrict free agency. You get a max offer somewhere else, and then Philly will just match it anyway. So mm. I guess it's kind of a a losing battle there, no matter what. Um, yeah. I I just think. I think it's maybe assuming that Joel Embiid would be okay with more or less punting a year of his very fragile prime this year and not having that have him come into the offseason next year feeling the exact same way that James Harden does about Daryl Morey this year. Yeah. You know, Joel Embiid at a charity basketball event, you know, next summer saying like Daryl Morey is a liar <laughs> and I will never be part of a team that he is GM of like. I could just as easily see that as him saying, you know what, Daryl, I buy the vision, pal. Like, I'm with it. Let's go sign some new players. Let's integrate some other brand new players into this, this team that has just been a consistent sinking ship under your leadership. I trust in you, pal. Like, this is going to work. Uh, I, fair. I don't know. I He's going to be 29 this year. He's going to be 30 by this time next year. Mm. And he's a seven-footer with fragility issues. I, I just don't know. I don't know if he'd be willing to continue trusting someone that he's not a hundred percent on board with that has kind of done nothing, but alienate his co-stars his entire time with, with the team that he, you know, with Ben Simmons, with now Harden, you know, with basically everybody, Maury, Maury notoriously treats players like a figure on a spreadsheet more yeah. so than, you know, an actual person. Uh, and and I think that that might play into things. Now, whether they decide to honor his trade request to come to New York or not would be a totally different thing, which to your point, Jeremy, I think is a, a totally fair. Like yeah. we've we've seen a guy specifically say, I want to come to New York. And and his team said, well, that's cool. We are going to Cleveland, yeah. <laughs> you know, so maybe maybe Embiid then ends up getting diverted somewhere else for a year, much like we're maybe seeing happen with Donovan Mitchell right now, where there's already reports coming out about like, well, he still wants to go to New York, by the way. <laughs> so he's going to find his way there somehow. Uh, but at that point, you know, if Joel goes two more years down the line, how desperate are the Knicks going to be to to get him at that point? Um, you know, if he's going to be making like $60 million a year for this team that has only ever had stars on value contracts during this whole regime. Uh, I don't know. So it's I, it's definitely a bold prediction. It, it feels, feels a little more bold after you guys just made the case against it, I think. But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a great case against from you guys. And I, I think the Dame trade is maybe the biggest dent in my argument that like very similar in a very similar small market, like to Milwaukee, Oklahoma city, if they got Embiid, they could make a case. Hey, we're title contenders from day one. And I, I think even though they're super young, like if they kept Shea and, and Jalen Williams and Chet in that trade, and they could still probably beat the Knicks best offer pretty easily while keeping all those guys. Um, then yeah, things, things look really, really good. And it's kind of on Embiid and where he wants to play, but I am ultimately banking on emotional fatigue here, which I think is, is already at a high and the tensions like Embiid dropped some nuggets this summer that like, he's not that far off from that line of thinking. And I, I just don't think the Toronto guys move the needle for him enough. I, I don't think like Pascal Siakam walks in the door and Joel Embiid's like, great, we're winning the title now. All my prayers have finally been answered. So I don't think that's a great fit. I think Adenobi's a good fit. I think it probably results in them exiting the playoffs in the same round. Like, I just, I don't see the guy that changes things. It's more so about Daryl Morey being a stubborn, you know what, and, and just trading him off to oblivion in the Western Conference somewhere, which is, is totally plausible. I'm going to, I'll, two, two last things on this. Yeah. I, and I think Jeremy kind of said something along these lines. It's not that the signing one of the Toronto guys would have to make the Sixers like the leaders in the clubhouse. Mm. But I think when you combine it with the fact that I, I, there's been reports out to this effect and I, I believe them. I do think genuinely Joel Embiid wants to retire a sixer. I think if all yeah. things being equal, he would like to stay there and because he likes it there and the whole, we don't need to go into it. So it's like, can you do enough? Right. Is, you know, you, we sitting here logically, we could look at that move and be like, that's not enough. It, the question isn't what we think. It's what, what does Joel Embiid think? Is like enough to convince him. The, the bone I'm going to throw you though, is this, which is that I think if let's say the Sixers don't have a great year and they don't get one of the Toronto guys, and Embiid does ask out. 
and he does say, I want to go to the Knicks, I think he's going to the Knicks. Um, it's the point I've been making, which we could probably sit here and talk for another hour about, but like the fact remains that we have yet to see a star demand a trade to a place, a particular place, one place, and or make it known that he would like to end up with that place and and have that that team offer everything. Can yeah. see, re, re, you know, relatively speaking, everything as opposed to what the Knicks did last summer with with Donovan Mitchell, which and what the Heat apparently did this summer with Dame, where it's screwed around a little bit. Yeah, we're going to try to negotiate. You know, um, I think because I think the Knicks would be willing to offer everything, which is what made. And I thought of this when Alex, when you were like, "Are the are, are the Knicks really going to want to pay an aging Joel Embiid sixty million dollars a year?" I think if they have a chance to get Joel Embiid. I, I think they're going to offer everything. I don't think they're worrying about the money. I think they're just going to, I think they're going to go for it. I think it at that point, I think it would get done. It's about, for me at least, it's about getting to that point where he walks into Daryl Morey's office and says, I want to be a Nick, but we'll see. I just quickly, I don't think the Knicks are going to be nearly as desperate for Joel Embiid as you may be thinking they are. Maybe not. Maybe not. Like, like we're saying everything, right? Okay. So are we looking at the Knicks essentially being the Sixers that we're describing and now being in a position where they have to get. I, Co- they have to get you know help around Joel Embiid, and it's just Brunson and Embiid and some other players that are there. I think but it's still massive holes that they. Have I think to it's fill. all the picks, and I think it's two rotation players. I think it's. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I think the Knicks play. have been like the Divincenzo signing to me was like we are going to have insurance when we trade one of Grimes or Quick. And, and to your point, if it's everything, maybe that's not enough. But I, I think the Knicks have been insulating themselves against the scenario for a while now, and kind of planning around. Sure, I. My question is if like Kevin Durant in his mid thirties yeah. doesn't cost everything that the Suns had, it costs a lot. Don't get me wrong. Well, I, I, but, but the difference is every he, trade he that I see out there, <laughs> almost every, everything. I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying he didn't cost a lot because he's still Kevin Durant, but every trade that I see that's out there compares a Joel Embiid trade to a trade of a wing or a guard, never to the, never to another big because okay. it's often unprecedented because there's often not a case where there's a player like this around, which means could, yes, everything could go out the window, but it also could be look at the price tag that other teams have played for expensive centers who are 30 or higher. I mean, yeah, well, go is, the exception, but because there's also Vucevic, right? Because well, what about Anthony Davis? Vucevic, I think Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis, I think is the closest analogy. But Anthony right? Davis was in his mid. Well, it's like twenty six. Yeah, and he had a year so a little and he's, yeah. It's, a, so it's the a point I'm one. the point yeah. I'm making Sorry, is that there's there's really not a great this is a Joel Embiid comparison mm-hmm. because there just hasn't been a center who has operated like him, who has the injury history like him, who has the salary like him, who is in the position to even be available. And I, but I struggle to see it being everything. But look, maybe it is. I just, I don't, I think it's going to be less than that because he's like 30 years old for a big man is probably what the equivalent of like 32, 33. There hasn't been, to your point, the last big 30 year old or center, 30 year older, make an all NBA team was Marcus Saul, I think in 2015. And that's, that's so this is not an endorsement of the Knicks doing this, to be clear. This is just what I think could happen because as we, we always talk about my, my final point here is like, there's never going to be the perfect trade. Right. So like when do you, when do you just say, screw it, this guy won MVP a year ago. And I think to John's point, the Knicks could do that. And I also think just for one more thing, like, like if we're looking at, uh, uh, potential analogies for this too it's is maybe like Lillard and and that sort of a decent one at this point too for like a guy that had multiple years left on his deal that would be at the at the equivalent age you know what I mean like I don't know I just think in general what we have seen is like to your point Jeremy in and this is like overall this isn't even just because of the semi-unprecedented nature of the type of player that Embiid is and like not really knowing what his market is but the overall star market has kind of done what we all thought it would and come back down to earth a bit. And like the new CBA helps that out a ton because no, no team is really lining up to like decimate their cap right now. So all these guys that are the massive max players, now they're like, now the teams that are trading for them have this ability to say, Hey, by the way, like, you know, these guys, these guys are going to like trading for this guy is going to severely hamstring what we're able to do to build our team. So like, we're going to need to hold on to some stuff because, you know, by taking on a $60 million player, that's a third of our cap now. And that's, that's just not tenable to, I, you know, make happen. To me, everything you just said applies to the, okay, the notion that 
OKC would would blow away all other yeah. offers for Embiid. To sure. me, they're the team that I'm not saying that they could be picky, but like you know, if there's any team that could be picky with what they have and what they already have going on before they even make the trade, if they decide to make the trade, I'd be curious to see how they look this year with all these pieces. But I, um, yeah, I just want to say one thing on OKC. Yeah. Sam Presti had a, con- a press conference at the beginning of training camp, and mm-hmm. I found it fascinating. He talked about someone asked him the question of an all in trade and Presti spoke for six minutes saying, well, what is an all in trade? What does that even mean? Because for me, I see a team where we've got a lot of young pieces that could turn into something. And I see a team that didn't even finish 500 last year. So why is it that we're taking that step and we don't even know what we really have? And maybe that gets solved within the next year. But is it the sort of thing where with their timeline that the player they go after is the player we're describing who is on the older side when they play in a small market where team control is so important. They got all that time out of Kevin Durant and the moment that he could leave, he did. I just feel like they're going to try to stay as homegrown as possible. And they're going to use their wealth of assets to, you know, Maybe it's, is it a Zion Williamson type player? Is it someone who is on a rookie contract? Who's a star where, is it trading up in the draft to get some prize possession, even though that can still be tricky? I, I just tried the timeline, do. which they have, right? I, I mean, they did with the Knicks. They got they traded three protected picks they, for the eleventh pick overall. I, but the Cade rumors I'm talking about, yes, hundred years ago, yeah. yeah. So there's, I just think the timeline is a little bit off. Where if there were a team for Embiid, and again, it depends on how far along the Thunder are. Yeah, it just seems like they're at disparate points. I was wondering if Memphis would maybe throw Triple J out there, but we've we've gone we've gone long enough on this. But that, I think that's that's another wild card. Teams like swapping a young star is they want to win right away. Is kind there, of listen, there's always going to be wild card. We like maybe some people saw Cleveland coming before yeah. those reports emerged last summer. I I didn't personally, but I think we just um, left a whole separate podcast to record. In like, yeah, so, yeah, clearly. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll we, listen. We have a lot of time to do that. 